Hey everyone, welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob. I'm joined by my co-host Carl Mascarenas. Carl, you know, we always talk about days like this where we get to see a bunch of our teams win. RCB, Royal Challengers, Bangalore, and the IPL getting the win. And now we get to see United win. It's a good day. It is a very good day, especially because it's a performance um, from United that we've been waiting for. It was nice to see some of the goals go in. Didn't look like that for the first 85 minutes, but it's a good thing uh, we had some firepower on the bench to help us. Um, What did you think of the game? I well, for those who don't know yet, uh, Manchester United beat Newcastle four-one, um, and RCB got some fireworks from AB De Villiers. <laughs> oh, always enjoy that. But yeah, United, I thought for the majority of the game were the better team, and deserved fully deserved the three points. It didn't look like they were going to get it going into those final ten minutes. But I thought they showed great resolve to get it. Before we get into breaking down the match, uh, I just want to give listeners an idea of what they can expect. Obviously, this is the first uh, post-match reaction that we're doing. So we're going to give you our first thoughts, instant reaction. Then we're going to get into breaking the game down. And then we've got some fun stuff in terms of post-match awards. We've got the Beckham boot, the Cantona collar. We've got the long staff, long shot. We'll explain it as we get to it, uh, those topics today, but that's what you can look forward to uh, over the next 35 to 40 minutes. So Carl, I think a good place to start is the starting lineups. And I think if not for those final 10 minutes, this would have been a huge talking point. But obviously, you look at the names that were on the sheet today, you can't help but think some of that had to do with keeping an eye on PSG for Tuesday. And from the previous game, you're looking at five changes. Obviously, Anthony Marshall suspended. So Marcus Rashford takes his spot up front. Interestingly, both Pogba and Matic out, out from those defensive midfield roles, Scott McTominay and Fred both stepped in. We had Juan Mata on the right side in for Mason Greenwood. On the left side, you had uh, Daniel James stepping in, basically, obviously in for Anthony Marshall, but playing the role that Marcus Rashford usually does. What were your thoughts, Carl? Yeah, lots of changes. Uh, very risky from Ole. Uh, as you said, if it, if it ended in a 1-1, uh, I could have seen uh, the media tightening the screw on Ole and those Pochettino's rumors getting louder and louder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it paid off for him. Um, one, I was surprised he still had Luke Shaw on the lineup, if I'm being honest. In our, in our first episode, I thought uh, I'd mentioned that Tellez, I wouldn't be surprised if he went straight into the starting lineup. I guess uh, Ole played it a little safe with him. Uh, right, definitely didn't play it safe with uh, some of the other moves. I thought the one that actually caught my eye the most was playing one Mata on the right. I mm-hmm. I was very surprised by that. I didn't think that was going to work out, but uh, boy was I wrong. Um, I thought Mata was was brilliant in that game. He he really showed what he's made about uh, what he's all about. Sorry, uh, when it came to 
just getting those neat one touches in the uh, in and around the box. Uh, the first 10 minutes, he was pretty quiet, but then he moved in a little bit uh, from the right side to the left side. He got more involved in the play. Uh, he was actually instrumental in that nice finish from Bruno, which was called back for an offside. I think that was the turning point for Mata that sparked his confidence. And uh, after that, he was just rolling. Uh, what did you think of uh, the changes that Ole made? Did any of them catch you by surprise um, in a bad and a good way? Well, again, I completely agree that Mata had a really good game, but that would be the decision that surprised me. I guess him along with Daniel James, the fact that both were able to figure into the plans ahead of Donny van de Beek, I think that was the big surprise for me. And when you think about the fact that van de Beek hasn't started a game yet, I can't help but wonder if on some level, this is a message from Solskjaer back to the board saying, hey, this guy was not on my wish list. So uh, this is what I'm going to do. And I'd like to think that with the time that Van de Beek has earned so far, that he's proven he's capable of playing more minutes and getting into that starting lineup, especially when you're making changes like this. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out over the coming fixtures because they're coming thick and fast. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I don't know if I agree with the part of Ole sending a message to the board. Um, I think the international break probably p- played a factor in Donny not starting. However, Donny's now come off the bench. He came off against Crystal Palace and was instrumental in us getting a goal there. Um, mm-hmm. He came off the bench again today and was instrumental in us getting that uh, winner from from Bruno Fernandez. So. I'm not sure what more Donny needs to do to get the start, uh, but something tells me come that Chelsea game, we might be seeing DVB on the pitch. Yeah, so why don't we start there, Carl? The What ended up being the winning goal, United again into the last 10 minutes. Newcastle have a free kick, and United are able to go on the counter. Van de Beek is the one who tees things up. And it ends with a beautiful Bruno finish into the top corner. It was a vintage United counterattack. That's what Ole has been trying to bring back to the club. And it was a sight for sore eyes, considering the chances that United had wasted throughout uh, the game to that point. I thought that that, that was beautiful to see. Yeah, that uh, that was very, very important. I think it's symptomatic of what's going on at United. So there's players who can do that and there's players who cannot. Donny van der Beek, if you look at the the way that goal started, he had a, a bad first touch and it actually took him way out into the left field in our own half. Now at that point, if you've got Matic, Scott McTominay or Fred in that exact same position, that ball's going backwards or laterally, laterally to yeah. Victor or Harry. Right. Actually, before you before you describe that further, I I just want to counter and say I didn't even think it was a bad touch. I think it was him recognizing that Shelby was right there, so he was gonna do whatever he needed to do to get the ball in space because mm-hmm. he's smart enough to operate from there. Fair like enough. He's, okay. he's like, I'll knock the ball away and then I'll figure it out. Fair and enough. So, so he had the presence of mind to actually buy himself some more time. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and so at that point in time, you know, where he's he's bought himself some more time, 
some of those other players are making that pass sideways. However, Donnie looks straight ahead, sees Bruno. He knows it's not an easy touch for Bruno, but he trusts him, passes it straight to Bruno, and then that's how we get moving up the pitch, right? That is exactly what Solskjaer is looking for. That's the tempo we want to go at, right? And that tempo, way too often before that period in time, was getting slowed down because you had people passing the ball sideways and were losing the momentum. Newcastle, the way they were set up, was set up in two blocks. There was a back four, and then there was five in midfield. Joe Linting was playing as a winger. He was not playing as a striker. So you just had Wilson up front. So when you've got those nine people behind the ball, it's going to be very hard to break down. So you better believe when those guys are out of position, you need to keep that quick tempo to break through the lines and score that goal. That's how United scored the second, the third, and the fourth goals, right? So I think moving forward, we've got to maintain that tempo going because that's how we're going to win games, especially against teams that just pack it at the back. Yeah, no doubt. And we, we, we talk about tempo and tempo and tempo. I actually initially thought when Fred came off around the 68th minute for Pogba, I thought that was 10 minutes too late. And I was thinking about that moment. And, you know, is it something where it's prearranged that Pogba is saying, okay, you know, I've got 20 minutes in me or, you know, the medical team is saying, okay, you know, he, he was away for international duty. That's all he can give you. Uh, I, I don't know if that was the conversation, but I, I thought the substitution came 10 minutes too late. I'm glad it didn't cost them in the end because they got the three points. But that shift, again, you know, when you've got Pogba constantly looking up, when you've got Van de Beek constantly looking up, Bruno constantly looking up, Juan Mata constantly looking up, especially for someone like Rashford who wants to get on his bike, that excites him, right? Now he's looking at space saying, hey, I'm going to run into it and the ball is going to be at my feet. And I think that that plays a big part in getting those goals. And when we go back to a moment that Fred had that, again, highlights the difference that you were talking about, it's the 50th minute and United are in possession and he's got the ball and he's looking around and he looks to make a simple lateral pass and ends up giving the ball away. And Newcastle go on the counter and Colin Wilson looks like he's bagged a goal. And has put Newcastle up 2-1. But David De Gea, vintage save, right off the line, reflex action. Um, I thought that was a huge moment where, again, if if you go down 2-1 there, to go down to start the first half, now again to go down to start the second half, early in the second half, uh, I thought that would have impacted the team negatively. So kudos to David De Gea stepping up to the plate when the team needed him. That was definitely a, a, a turning point in the game as well. Uh, that goal goes in and we're back to square one and heads could potentially drop. Uh, for all those people out there who are asking for Henderson to start, I hope they're taking note of some of the things that De Gea is doing this season. Let's not forget in the Crystal Palace game, he uh, he made that penalty save. Unfortunately, it was called off for VAR for him being uh, a centimeter off his line. But uh, you know what? He's coming up with some big moments, right? And let's not forget about that. Okay, the next time he makes a mistake, you know what? Let's cut him some slack because he's he saved us today. He didn't make any mistakes. That mm-hmm. was a fantastic save 
just a reaction save. But what was even more impressive was his presence of mind to actually palm the ball forward to one of our players. And so that way we could clear the ball or start a counterattack. Yep. In certain situations, actually, if you just go back to the Arsenal City game earlier in the day, uh, Bern Leno made a save, right? But he, he palmed it right back into the danger area. And Sterling just capitalized, bang, into the goal, right? And so that save was nullified. So these are some simple things that can really turn around a game. Now, speaking of turning points, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, we were down 1-0. Harry Maguire steps up and scores an absolutely bullet header into the net. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your thoughts on that, especially with a lot of people questioning his presence in the starting lineup? Uh, after his display against Tottenham, after his display for England, uh, questions starting to arise about captaincy. Uh, mm-hmm. What did you think that goal meant for him? When you say questions, are you re- referring to anyone specifically asking these questions? Or <laughs> no, <laughs> yes, no, yes. It's, it's a lot of people wondering the same thing. But I thought as soon as he scored the goal, as soon as he got the header, I was like, man, no one needed that goal more than him. And good for him. Uh, you think about uh, again, United have a goal waved off for offside after Juan Mata tees up Bruno Fernandes. That was a firecracker of a goal, and now Juan Mata takes the corner uh, and and tees up Maguire for an open header. I, I don't know how he ends up that wide open, but you'll take it every time. And yeah, be- beautifully placed into the corner of the net. Uh, I was happy for him to get the goal. And in terms of questioning his place in the side, the first question is who, who are you going to replace him with? At, at the end of the day, he is the best center back available to Manchester United right now. And so <laughs> there's, there's nowhere else to put him. And when you look at leadership qualities, for me, I think the biggest thing that goes unnoticed with him is the fact that He's got a ton of heart. And when I look at last season, playing every match, playing 90 minutes of every match, playing through injury uh, that was not disclosed, that was kept very private, uh, I think those are the qualities that Ole looks at and says, yeah, that's the leader. That's who I want uh, uh, wearing the armband for Manchester United. And even in this match, it looked like he picked up a hamstring injury but he soldiered on. And he almost could have had a second goal. Juan Mata teed him up again. And he had a solid header. So I, th- I, I think, you know, he's someone that I have confidence in his leadership and uh, the effort that he's going to put forth for Manchester United. He takes every game extremely seriously. Uh, you know, I, I even look at, go back to that Europa League defeat, especially after United had done the job and qualified for Champions League. It would have been very easy to be like, okay, that's fine. He wanted that last chance at a trophy. You know, when you lose semifinal after semifinal after semifinal, the way United did last season, you could see that, you know, it was itching him. It, you know, it, it really bothered him. And those are the things that I like to see from a leader. It should bother you those moments and uh yeah I've, I've got no problem with him continuing as captain uh should there be a, a better center back for him to be paired with 
Absolutely. Are there weaknesses in his game when he's going up against pace? Absolutely. Uh, is Bruno a perfectly good candidate to be the captain of United? Sure. But uh, I, I think, you know, United have been a club to generally back their players when they're down. You look at, you know, the Wayne Rooney moment after the World Cup. You look at the David Beckham moment after the World Cup. Why not back Harry Maguire right now? Yeah, I think, you know what, just a couple of seasons ago when we've been talking about we want some leaders in the dressing room, we want people to step up, it was very hard for us to name any leaders in the dressing room at the time, right? Mm-hmm. I think we definitely had some more leaders when it comes to Instagram, but on out on the pitch, uh, probably, <laughs> probably lacking some of that, right? But now, where we have more than one candidate to be a captain... That's a pretty good position to be in. I would have uh, bitten your hand off if you had offered that to me two years ago. So I think we're in a good position. Bruno really shows that he wants it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry, he's he's a little quieter, but I'm sure he has a big influence as well. Yeah, you know what? Uh, a lot of your talking gets done on the pitch. He's going through a bad moment. Uh, but let's let's remember that these are athletes who can also be mentally affected by what's going off the pitch. And what happened to him in Greece, I'm sure that's playing a factor. But this goal is going to give him so much confidence. It's going to really, you know, put him back where he he should be. Um, And I I think one thing that is underrated is when players play through injury just because they don't make a big deal about it. So that's a fantastic point that you make. It was very clear to see that today his hamstring was bothering him. Every time the ball went out of play or he was stretching for a tackle, you could see that he was like walking very gingerly after that. So uh, hopefully he's fine for the PSG game. I'm pretty sure Mbappe is going to test out those hamstrings of his. So we'll see what happens when when that game comes along. But uh, I guess it's one thing at a time. Now, I actually wanted to to bring up something. If you didn't see the scoreline in that game, mm-hmm. do you think that we should be really, really happy about that performance? Or... It was just a step in the right direction. I would say it's a step in the right direction. I would not be thrilled about the performance. I think, you know, again, in terms of the build up to the attack, there are a lot more uh, opportunities to get forward quickly or quicker. And uh, those were missed out on. Again, when you when you start Scott McTominay and Fred together, no disrespect to what they bring to the table, but they're not constantly, you know, playing with their head up, looking for the ball that can uh, sort of unleash the United counter. And so I think there are some missed opportunities there. Uh, when you look at defensively, you know, I think this was more solid. It was better than what you expect. And, uh, you know, I thought Juan Bisaka did about as good a job as you would expect on St. Maximin. And uh, I thought it, it, it was good that maybe there, there, there were plans to deal with the overloading. And maybe that's uh, this, that's something we talked about in the first episode, right? Where uh, teams are recognizing that, oh, Greenwood's not helping defensively as much. Rashford's not helping defensively as much. We have an opportunity for our left back, our right back to get forward. And so now, you know, maybe there was a bit more uh, of that uh, effort defensively. Daniel James, you know, the, there's there's 
aspects of, of his game that you can criticize. But I think, you know, outside of stretches where he looked fatigued last season, he does give a lot in terms of his effort defensively. And I thought there were points where uh, on the ball, he looked very good as well going forward. Now, his biggest weakness is his size and his lack of physicality. There were times where Joel, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, he, Joel Linton or, you know, Colin Wilson, they were just sort of swatting him away like a fly when they were trying to maintain possession. And I thought that was pretty funny. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think considering the 11 that started the match, I, I would say it's just a step in the right direction. What about you? Yeah, you know what? Uh, after the first 45 minutes, my notes looked very different from the second 45 minutes. <clears throat> I was not impressed with certain things that were going on. I thought Aaron Wan-Bissaka offensively was was pretty poor. Um, mm. He changed that with that goal, but like, take the goal aside. His crossing into the box, even his runs... Uh, you could see Bruno actually, you know, he get the ball from from Aaron Wan-Bissaka. He's hoping that Wan-Bissaka carries on his run. And you see Bruno just playing those through balls through the lines. Now, yeah. if Wan-Bissaka can pick up onto some of those, we're going to have a lot more, you know, dangerous positions where he can cross from, right? So I would really like to see him switched on from an offensive standpoint. Absolutely no complaints from a defensive standpoint. I will point out, though, in the first two minutes of the game, Victor Lindelof made a bad mistake allowing Callum Wilson to turn. However, Newcastle did overload our left-hand side where the goal did come from, right? And so uh, still a work in progress, but uh, I'm hoping that uh, we get better at it, uh, to your point. Uh, the other thing that that has me a little worried is that this was a very average Newcastle team. They had two main threats in St. Maximan and John Joe Shelby, right? And we had the presence in midfield, to completely nullify those people, but we didn't, right? Mm. And so when we come up against a team that has three, four, five, six threats, like we will against Chelsea, um, I want to see what happens because we're going to have to play a lot more one-on-one at that point. And that's when we will see if we're exposed or not. So that's something to to keep an eye out for, for future games. Uh, let's see though. It's it's one step, as we mentioned. And let's, let's be honest, this was... Uh, these are basically our preseason games, right? So we're going to get moving along pretty soon. So the games are coming thick and fast, like you mentioned. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, you mentioned Victor Lindelof. And so I think that's a good time to get into our first Beckham Boot Award. Uh, no surprises here. And for listeners who don't know, this is basically uh, back in 2003, United played Arsenal in an FA Cup fifth round match and lost 2-0. The second goal, Beckham did not track back. And so after the match, Sir Alex Ferguson completely lost it uh, in the the dressing room. And there were a bunch of boots next to him. And he ends up kicking one right at Beckham as he's trying to make his point. Beckham gets up, wants to have a go at Ferguson. And players, you know, stop him from doing that. And so we're going to hand out a Beckham boot after every match to the player that maybe needed a kick up there behind or uh, some kind of wake up call uh, and who just wasn't up to it. I thought Lindelof on that first goal, if you're that if you're caught that far out in possession, just give the foul, give you stop the transition. Don't let them get out uh, on the counter. 
and he didn't do that. And then once he gets turned, he and Fred are chasing the same player. And that's what opens up the middle where John Joe Shelby is by himself. And so uh, on the ball, they recognize, hey, we've got two here. We've got Lindelof and uh, Fred on me. I'm just going to make this nice pass to Shelby. And he sends it out wide. And obviously after that, you're a bit unlucky because it's a cross uh, that's coming in and it deflects off Luke Shaw and goes into the net that nothing David De Gea can do about. But I thought for Lindelof, again, these mistakes seem to be coming thick and fast for him. And so he's my Beckham boot for today. You have any uh, counter arguments? No, that's one I'll definitely agree on. Um, Lindelof's got to do better. These mistakes happen way too often when it comes to him. So uh, no complaints there with the, the Beckham boot award for me. All right. Now I'll throw it to you for this next one. We're we've in, we're introducing what's called the Cantona Collar, and so for anyone who watched him play or has seen highlights, uh, Eric Cantona was pretty famous for having that collar popped. And when you play with the swagger that he did, then you can afford to do those things. And so every match we're gonna. Pick out someone who we thought played with that swagger, that played with that confidence, and earned the Cantona collar. So, who was that man for you today, Carl? So, I'm, I'm, I have a pretty good idea who I think you're gonna pick, and I'm gonna go against the grain on this one. Okay. Uh, my Cantona collar for today is Juan Mata, and uh, the reason I'm gonna give it to him is, uh, I think the commentator mentioned this was his first start since February. Right, so he hasn't started a lot of Premier League games, um, and coming into this off the back of that six-one, lots of pressure on the team. So Juan Mata is coming and he's playing on the right, not his preferred position. So mm-hmm. a lot of things could go wrong, but I thought he had a magnificent game. He kept it ticking, uh, quick touches, exactly what Bruno was looking for. They seem to be on a really good wavelength with each other. Something else that I want to mention as well, uh, we, we touched on this in the first episode where we said, you know, Alex Tellers will add a good option when it comes to set pieces with the left-footed uh, play. Well, mm-hmm. Juan Mata took the corners and yep. uh, you saw what happened. Not once, but twice when it came to Harry Maguire. He could have easily had two goals. John Joe made a nice save off the line. I thought Mata was, uh, you know, lots of precision when it came to his his uh, corner kicks and also his passing. And so yeah. for me, I think he deserves the Cantona collar. What do you think? I, I, I have no arguments against that. I think if there's anyone I would pit against him, it would be Marcus Rashford. I thought uh, his first half, I thought he was outstanding. His energy, the intensity that he played with, you could see even, you know, the United going down the early goal. It was like, you know, I'm going to, drag us back not into the match with a goal and play selfishly but like i'm gonna rev up the energy and intensity here who's gonna join me and i really liked that approach from him and the second half i thought he thoroughly deserved the goal that he ended up with and he he was a key part of uh those goals that united were able to get at the end so i i think he's someone i put right there but i have no arguments with juan mata i mean he stepped up to the plate in a big way. You mentioned him and Bruno being on the same uh, same wavelength. I, I think that sums it up because there were a lot of times where Bruno 
and him sort of seemed to understand where they wanted the ball, where they wanted to move to. And that's something that Bruno doesn't always get with his teammates, right? I think we've seen since the time he's come to United that there are passes that he wants to make that players are not seeing. You highlighted Juan Bissaka not identifying those runs that he can make. And I think Bruno sometimes gets frustrated to the point where he sees the run and he says, you know what? I'm going to make the pass anyway. I see you're not making the run, but I'm going to make the pass anyway because you need to learn that this is what needs to happen. And so you can either deal with this, me giving the ball away, or you can start making that run. And I thought Mata was probably like a breath of fresh air for him to play with. And again, you've got two players who are very creative, right? Uh, I don't know how high Mata can pop his collar because I don't know how many people would see his face <laughs> if that happened. Uh, he's a pretty small guy, so maybe he doesn't want to pop it too high. But beyond that, I think we can move on to the third award, which is the Longstaff Long Shot. Now this one, so we went old school with Beckham and Cantona. And with this one, this is very recent. Uh, Matty Longstaff scored a very surprising goal against United uh, last season. And so my question to you, this award is basically going to go to the surprise performer from the opposition who who maybe caught your eye. Obviously, you know, we look out for guys in a fixture like this for players like Colin Wilson, like John Joe Shelby, who maybe stepped up to the plate that, that, you, that you really weren't expecting. Right. For me... In this in this game, the long stuff, long shot, um, the player who I would want to pick, it has nothing to do with the fact that we share the same first name, but uh, Carl <laughs> Darlow, the goalkeeper, yeah, I thought he had a he had a fantastic game, a great penalty save. Let's not forget that this is uh, Bruno's first miss in a United shirt and his first miss for a long time as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought he had a, a fantastic performance. He was also injured. For probably the last 20 minutes of the second half. Uh, so he really kept his team in the game, making making some fantastic saves. So that's that's who I would pick for the long stuff long shot because I I probably would have expected a John Joe or a Callum Wilson to do something, but I wouldn't have expected him to do anything. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I think uh he made some quality saves, as you mentioned, the penalty. And maybe we can quickly touch on that. I know we're, we're, we're focusing on Darlow here, but uh, Bruno steps up to the spot and he doesn't take his traditional penalty routine with the hop, skip, and the jump. He takes it in regular fashion and misses. You mentioned first time in a long time. First time in a United jersey. First time since 2016 when he was playing for Udinese. So what were your thoughts on the miss uh, did you did you think that maybe that's him just changing things up to change things up or well, what's going on there? I think uh, Bruno was probably trying to to pull a fast one and just change up the rhythm of the goalie, and so that's why he didn't do his hop, skip, and a jump because mm-hmm. goalies are now starting to expect it. So mm-hmm. him just you know throwing a change up, so to speak, uh, will keep keepers on their toes, and you know for future penalties that we get. Uh, keepers will think twice whether they can wait an extra second or they have to move in advance. So I think it was just one of those things that didn't pay off this time. But um, you know what? I'm glad he got his miss out of the way. Um, and hopefully he can get back to to banging them in uh, in the games to come. 
Yeah, no question. And Darlo, you you mentioned the injury. It seemed like he had a bit of a groin issue. You wonder, especially when United were getting on those counters and getting into those one-on-one situations with Darlo, if he's maybe able to come out a bit sooner uh, if he's not dealing with the groin issue. And maybe that sort of helped United when they were trying to finish there. But hey, United will take it. It's three points in the bag. Uh, Again, now three points out of his spot in the top four. Obviously, standings mean very little right now. United are 14th. But uh, again, as we said, a step in the right direction. You look at the fixtures coming up with PSG, Chelsea, RB Leipzig, Arsenal. It's a a tough run coming up. And so a much-needed win to boost the confidence and head into Tuesday. Any, any, any last thoughts, anything that you want to get to that maybe we missed today, Carl? I think I would be, uh, so one thing actually, before I talk about the starting lineups for maybe the game against Chelsea or Arsenal, uh, mm-hmm. when I watched the press conference at the end of the game, where Ole was, uh, was talking, he was asked about some of those questions on the change in starting lineup. Uh, he mentioned that Pogba was left on the bench because he had some back issues when he came back from the international break. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought Ole missed a trick there because when you look at you know certain man management and really getting the confidence in your players going, I thought that was a perfect opportunity for Ole to say like, hey, you know what? There's a lot of games coming in thick and fast. Uh, we've got some good players who haven't had a lot of game time, so this was an opportunity to do so. And in that way, he would have instilled some confidence in Scott and Fred for the games to come, right? Yeah. Uh, Fergie was really good at this. You know what? He would leave Ole on the bench, Chicharito. But when they came in, they thought they were the most important player, right? Mm -hmm. And did that so well. So I think Ole could could learn from that. And maybe in future, instead of making sure he defends why Pogba was rested and not dropped, he can focus on some of the players that came in and why he brought them in in the first place. So that's something that I found interesting, but uh, it's good to just keep an eye on that. Yeah, I, I I like that you mentioned that because one of my favorite Sir Alex Ferguson stories uh, was one told by Gary Neville. And Gary Neville was looking back uh, on this one season. He was talking about how he was really struggling for form. And he was expecting to be dropped and Ferguson calls him in for a talk and Ferguson tells him, Hey, we have this big fixture coming up in three weeks. I really need you for that fixture. So whatever it takes that you need to do over the next two weeks, you're not going to play. I need you in peak physical condition. Get yourself ready. Get your mind right. Everything. And be ready to go for this match in three weeks. And Gary Neville says he heard that and he felt so good. And then as soon as he stepped out of the office, he's thinking, wait, have I just been dropped? <laughs> that's, just, that's just genius, man. That's the genius of the man right there. Exactly. And so no perception. Exactly. And so little things like that, uh, to your point in a post-match press conference where, again, the media doesn't need to know uh, the little details. 
especially considering the fact that Pogba comes on late, right? And you you could have easily played it off uh, as managing the situation of you know, all these fixtures that are piling up, and so uh, you you're gonna trust the entire squad, not just your main players, the way you had to trust your main players to end the season last last season, coming out of the lockdown, and. Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting to monitor. Again, another thing, uh, another area in which Solskjaer can grow. Right, we've we've talked about this in the first episode, where it's it's not just up to the young players to develop. We're we're looking for Solskjaer to show signs of development on his part as well. And yeah, I think I think it's going to be fun to see how he does over the next few fixtures. And the next one will be on October twentieth away to PSG who knows what an away game is right now but it'll be away to PSG and we'll see how that goes we'll catch you after that match thanks for listening everyone